many of you can remember summer as a kid? Wow, barely some of us, okay. I was raised in Sugar Creek, Missouri. It is a small town outside uh, the city of Kansas City. It was a bohunk town, and please don't take that wrong because I'm a bohunk, right? I'm a German. It was a German pole community. It was built around a refinery called Standard Oil. And I can remember as a kid during the summer just living a life of adventure. I mean, it was a blast. My friends and I would get on our bikes and we would travel and ride down to, to the Missouri River and throw rocks at water moccasins. We, we would go to the swimming hole. We, we, we did all kinds of adventurous things. Now, it was always a bunch of guys, us boys, we would hang together. I don't know what the girls did during the summer in Sugar Creek. They, they, I think they were inside resting or playing house or something like that. But it was a blast for me and my friends. It also included not just adventures, but chores. There were summer chores to do, like mowing the grass, cleaning your room, washing dishes, picking up dog poop in the yard. You ever done that? I categorized chores in two two groups. There were chores that I hated, and then there were chores that proved to me that my mom and dad hated me, okay? And one of those chores was having to pick the dandelions out of the front yard, now, this was before Kim Long came along, right? And the yards back then were huge. And my dad would give me a knife, a dull knife. He says, I want you to go out there and pluck out all the uh, dandelions out in the front yard. And you would have to get on your knees. It just proved to me that these were demonic chores. Anyway, on your knees, it hurts your back digging out these dandelions. But I then discovered, because I was a sharp, you know, eight, nine-year-old, that you could do it more quickly with the heel of your foot and you just knocked off the yellow flower, right? I could do a yard in 10 minutes. That didn't last too long because later that day they would pop back up again and I would get in trouble, okay? But truly I learned something in that and that is that there is power in the root system. Roots are everything. And that's what we're talking about in this series that I've entitled for us, Knowing the Faith of Our Fathers. Because there is power in roots. There is power in knowing the roots of Christianity. Roots bring nourishment. They bring stability. They bring closeness. Folks, they bring insight. I started this series off by talking about let's make a deal. And in order to make a deal and obtain the future that God has for you, you need discernment. You need insight. And that comes from knowledge. Roots are absolutely essential for your spiritual growth and for your future. Paul talks about this in Colossians 2, verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him. And draw up nourishment from him, so you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. Folks, that is what I want for you. I want your faith to grow strong. I want you to be vigorous in the truth. I want it to overflow to your kids and to your grandkids. 
We are only one generation. Christianity is only one generation from extinction. And for you and I to make sure that doesn't happen, we have to know the roots of our faith. And we need to be rooted in it. We need to be practicing it. And we need to be passing it along. Last week, we took a look at the Apostles' Creed. And if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go online, take a look at it. And we had some tents made so that you can put it on your table. And you can just review it every day. Because there are nine, ten things that you can do from this one little creed. It's a very short little creed. And I would encourage you, after the service, you didn't get that little tent, go out in any of the guest centers and you can pick one up with my outline and blanks filled in. We talked about the Apostles' Creed last week. This week, we're gonna focus in on the Nicene Creed, okay? It is a very famous root system of Christianity. It was written in response to some heresy that was happening during that time, during the early church. And what was happening was that Constantine, the Roman emperor, had a united government, but he had a divided church. And the church was, div- and because the church was divided, he called a council, and they met in Nicaea, in Turkey, to talk about the issues. And the big issue and heresy that was going on at that time revolved around Jesus being God. It was between Jesus's human nature and his deity. Now, why this was important is because if Jesus wasn't God, then he wasn't perfect. And if he wasn't perfect, he couldn't pay for your sins and my sins. In other words, when he died on the cross, guess what? He was dying for his own sins. And if he wasn't God, then he didn't rise from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then guess what? Our faith that we have right now is absolutely worthless. In other words, what they were saying was that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Have you ever heard anybody say that in our culture? He's just a good moral teacher. Yeah, he had some good sayings. I mean, no doubt that sermon on that. Famous, famous. Folks, he wasn't just a good moral teacher. He was God in the flesh. The fact is, our faith is rooted in Jesus' deity and that he rose from the grave. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And so this issue of Jesus's just or Jesus just being human, folks, is big. And on the heresy side, they were just promoting. He was just a good moral teacher. He was just man. And one of the ways that they were pushing this was through a a theory called the swoon theory, which basically said that Jesus didn't really die. Jesus was severely wounded on the cross, but he really didn't die. He looked like he was dead, but he really wasn't dead. And they put him in a tomb, and while he was in the tomb, he got refreshed. 
He, he got revived so much so that one man, it took several to roll that stone, but one man, after all that brutality, he pushed it aside and he sneaked past the guards and he died a secret death as any man would. And the antidote to that heresy was the Nicene Creed. I want Kina to come up and read the Nicene Creed. She has a beautiful voice. Kina. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right, let's give it up for Kena, okay? Thank you, Kena. She just has a beautiful voice. I tell you, when I read scripture, I'm all about content. I got more stuff to go, I'll go real fast like that. I just love it when she reads it. Now, after hearing that Nicene Creed, there were three theological words that came to my mind, and they weren't justification, sanctification, and propitiation. I, I didn't have any Asians on my words. My words, being the theologian that I am, are a whole lot simpler. And they were big, deep, and wide. How about those? Aren't those great theological words? Big, deep, and wide. And let's take a few minutes just to expand on those. The first one is big. And by the word big, write we. This is the first word in the Nicene Creed. Last week we took a look at the Apostles' Creed and it started with the word I. I believe in God the Father Almighty. This one is different. This one starts off with we believe. Now that may sound a little strange to you, that it's not being made personal. But what they were doing is that they were making a strong statement that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, believe this. That word we is bold. But it had to be bold in order to correct the air of this heresy. And so in essence, they were saying, we're standing together. 
Our, our, we're standing together. We're standing with our arms linked. We're stacking hands on one another, and we're going to together do the Mark Arena, okay? Whatever that song is called in dance. We're going to do this together. It was not about me or I, me, myself, and I, the new trinity that a lot of people operate off of. It's all about me, myself, and I. No, it is about we. And if you think about it today, that we is big, is it not? I shared last week, Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world through conversion. Islam through conception. I had someone come up to me, says, George, we need to get Christians breeding. I said, yeah, we do, okay. 2.3 billion Billions big, billions before us, billions now, and billions after us. Christianity is growing. Now here is why this is a big deal today. My faith is connected to your faith, and your faith is connected to our faith. Folks, that's how it works. That's the we And Paul talks about this we. In Romans chapter 12, verse five, take a look at this. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Will you circle two words, we and belong? Faith isn't just a belief system, it is a belong system. And your faith is one link. It is one link in this long, powerful chain of believers that is referred to as the body of Christ that has gone from the conception of Christianity 2,000 plus years ago till now and will continue on in the future. So in other words, what I'm saying is that being a follower of Christ is not about I. It is about we. We is a word that unites. I is a word that isolates that, that promotes individualism, that promotes self-centeredness. No, it is about we. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a follower of Christ, for me, is a very personal thing, but not at the exclusion of other people. When I hear people say, you know what, my faith is a very private thing, I get sad because they don't realize and understand what the body of Christ is. The fact of the matter is the Bible says that you and I are to live out our faith in the context of other people, not as an island unto ourselves. And when you and I live out our life in the context of other people, it will change your life and it will change how you live. In fact, at the bottom of that point, under the action item, will you write this down? Get connected. You see, I want you to get connected with other followers of Christ. And sure, right now, even in a crowd this size, we are all at different levels, are we not? And so it may mean something different for where you're at right now. For some of us, getting connected is just shaking hands and greeting with one another like we just did. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Ah, I'm, it's good to know you. Hey, where do you work? 
Folks, I want us to do that as a church family. I want us to be friendly. I want us to be welcoming and wanting and warm towards one another because there truly are people that go to church and they walk in and walk out without ever being greeted. In fact, I've had people come up to me and say, George, this is the only place I get a hug. Only place I really feel loved. And I do it purposefully. I want to be your pastor. And yet many come and go, and they're not greeted. They're not celebrated as being a part of the we. That is one level. There is a deeper level, and that is, I believe, getting into a biblical community group, a biblical Bible study. One of the things that I enjoyed about graduate school over undergraduate school is that in graduate school, I had office mates, I had study mates, and we were together studying all the time. It took me from I have to go to school to I get to do this. That is a, that is a deeper level, a deeper level still of connectedness is when you begin to do life together in that group. Where we journey together. Where we're being the church to one another. I know there is a group in our church that had some kids that had a genetic disorder. They were prone to the SIDS disease where a sudden infant death syndrome and their kids had to be in the hospital for three months and their group rallied around them, taking shifts, being with the kids, being with the mom, doing housework for three months. Folks, that is the church. We, the church, that is doing life together deeply. We have some groups, young families, where they're having babies. Go God, okay? And they offer diaper parties. I get invited to those. I never attend because I don't know whether you should bring them or wear them. It, it all depends. <laughs> I'm good. I'm just good. I'm involved in a community group, and our leader, Bob, we call it Bob's group. We've been together 17 years, and we go around that track all the time, doing membership stuff in the church. We're all members doing membership stuff, doing maturity stuff, comes easy, doing Bible studies. We just did a ministry outreach to our community, to Emily's place. It's one of our seven partners. Our group came and served dinner to these abused moms with their kids that are being sheltered and provided for for two years. Great place. If you're in a small group, you ought to sign up for this thing. And then we've done mission trips together. We've gone to Haiti. We're planning our next one right now. That is the church, we, the church, and it is a big we. The next theological word that I came up with was deep. And right by deep, the word three. What is deep about this creed? Well, if you study this creed, if you look at this creed, if you reread this creed, you will find that it explains God in three persons. That is what this creed is all about. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. This creed uses very precise language to make clear that Jesus and the Holy Spirit weren't created 
by God, that they existed throughout all of eternity, that there are three persons with the same essence, yet one being. This is very, very, very deep. It is something that we need to pass on to our kids, to our grandkids. There was a father in our church, thought of himself as a pseudo-theologian and was going to instill this truth into his three young kids, seven, five, and two years old. He sets them down. He has charts. He asks after his 10-minute presentation, do you guys understand this? And the seven-year-old said, you know what, that doesn't make any sense at all. The five-year-old asked a deep theological question. God, Dad, does that make God, does God have three butts? <laughs> and they laughed, and they laughed, and he decided he's going to stop being a theologian. And he called me. George, can you come over and talk to the kids about the Trinity? Let me explain this to you as best as I possibly can. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was 100% God and he was 100% human. God became a human. It's called the incarnation. That's what incarnation means. It means God became a human. God became one of us. And Jesus existed from eternity. He has always existed. And it is through him that the world was created. Take a look at John chapter 1 and verse 10. But although the world was made through him, Jesus, the world didn't recognize him, Jesus, when he came. So the word that is capitalized, Jesus, became human and lived here on earth among us. It says the world was made through him. In other words, Jesus has always existed, even before the beginning of time. He is not a created being. Jesus is God. In John 14, Jesus speaks and refers to this triune God. He refers to himself, he refers to the Father, and he refers to the Holy Spirit. Take a look at John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus said, and I, Jesus, will ask the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, to give another counselor to give you another counselor, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, trying to understand the Holy, the Trinity, is like a child trying to understand quantum physics or you trying to understand me. Oh, some of you got it already. You guys are sharp. I get to, I thought, George, you're just impossible to understand, okay? My wife says that all the time. God and I, we're kind of at the same level, all right? Okay. Folks, it, it's a challenge to get your mind wrapped around the Trinity. It will mess with your mind. Great theologians have tried to do this for years. 
theologians like St. Augustine, maybe you've heard of that guy, okay? He said this, to fail to believe in the Trinity, you will lose your soul. To try to understand the Trinity, you will lose your mind. You see, all I gotta say is this, it's deep, folks. In fact, the first time someone tried to explain the Trinity to me, I was getting discipled, okay? And he's talking and I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he asks, George, do you have it? Do you understand this? No, I don't. It's deep, no doubt about it, that God can be the Father, that God can be Jesus, the Son, that God can be the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you simultaneously, who can be one without losing the essence of, of the others. Folks, this is tough. I ran across this in my theological education and training. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all one God, the same in essence, equal in power and glory, yet they are each distinct in persons. One God, three persons who are inseparable yet distinct. That just cleared that up for me like mud. I tell you, I just got it right. No, it's tough. And yet, honestly, I'm okay with this. If I fully understood who God is, you know what would have to happen to God? He'd have to come down to my level or even below my level. The fact is, there are things that I do not understand in this world, yet I accept them, and so do you. I don't understand how Wi-Fi works. I'm glad it does, and I accept it. I'm, I don't understand how Bluetooth works, but... I'm glad it does. I accept it. I don't understand how planes fly. So I've had engineers. I have engineers in our small group. They try to forget it. I just accept it. I get on a plane and I go from point A to point B. You don't have to understand it to accept it. And when I say that, I'm not saying that you, you and I shouldn't be stimulating our minds trying to understand the very triune nature of God. We should. But there are some things that are bigger than ourselves. Maybe an illustration might help. There's a lot of them out there. One of the illustrations is around water. Water has three states. There is a solid state, ice. There is a gaseous state, steam. And then there is the liquid state that we call water. Three distinct forms, but one essence. Or you can explain it like uh, the three-leaf clover. It's got three distinct leaves, but one form. Clover, one, one essence. Uh, my favorite is Neapolitan ice cream. How many of us like Neapolitan ice cream? You can do this with your kids. Yeah, guess what? There are three distinct flavors, okay? Chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, but one ice cream, one essence. Now, I am sure that some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, does it really matter, Pastor George? I mean, what in the world does this have to do with the price of corn in Iowa? Yes, it matters. If Jesus wasn't fully God, he would not have had the capacity to save us. God came to earth 100% God, 100% man, lived a 100% perfect life like God could only do. And he made possible what you and I couldn't make possible through our works and our efforts. And that deep truth is this. Because of the Trinity, you and I are never outside of the presence of God. 
Think about that with all the things that you go through in life. I got a phone call at nine o'clock this morning that one of our core members had a stroke. And I says, I'm praying, and I'm praying that God's presence is there. You and I are never outside the presence of God. You see, when you accept Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, on what he did on the cross for you, and you pray to the Father that he forgives you of your sin, he sends you his Holy Spirit that invades your life, and he sets up permanent residence there, meaning that you are never alone that you are never outside the very presence of God. Take a look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 16 or 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Take a look at this slide. What you see on this slide is a person without Christ, and you see that God is outside of them. But when you accept that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, and that he died on the cross for your sins, and you pray to the Father to forgive you of your sins, he sends his Holy Spirit. And you, in essence, have all of God in you. And wherever you go, God's there. And whatever you experience in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God is there. That is deep. And yet, it does nothing in distorting who God is. So what do you and I do with that action step? Will you write this down? You recognize his presence. You recognize his presence. Folks, this truth is important because as you and I go through life and as we experience life, as it comes at us, a lot of times we think that the Father is distant. And Jesus, well, you know, he was that guy, I don't know, he lived 2,000 plus years ago. And, Holy, and the Holy Spirit, well, he's like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Who knows where he's at right now? And we begin to live our lives as if God is distant, and when we pray to him in times when maybe a family member has had a crisis in their life, we think, oh yeah, well, God's probably heard it, and he's fee-fi-fo-fum, I hear the prayer of a distant one, I wonder what's going on. No, he is present, and we must recognize that in our life, that he is always with us, and he is in us. Because when you and I do that, do you know what will happen? It will change your life. It will change your conversations that you have other, with other people. You think if mom knew, guess what? God's there. He knows. He sees. It will change how you treat people. It will change your integrity. It will change how you deal with temptation in your life because you know that God is there and that he has given you a power that's inside of you that is greater than anything on the outside of you. It's deep. The third theological word is wide. And next to wide, write this. His love 
for me. Big, we. Deep, three. Wide, his love for me. That sounds like a song, rap song. We, three, his love for me. That's the Nicene Creed. Ooh, I like that. Let's try it over here. Let's get a little competition going. I want you to feel this creed. We, say we. Three. His love for me. That's the Nicene Creed. Then clap your hands. On my beat, please. Let's try it one more time. You all get, well, I'm coming over there. You, be, you guys better be perfect, okay? We, three, his love for me. That's the Nicene Creed. Oh, right. Okay, the middle section right here. We, three, his love for me. That's the Nicene Creed. All oh, right. Guys better be perfect. We, three, his love for me. That's the Nicene Creed. All oh, right. You can do that with your kids. Make it a game. Pass the faith along. They may not understand it. That's okay. I don't understand it all. His love for me is wide enough, folks, that I can never outrun it. His love is wide enough that it includes everybody, for God so loved the world. Truly, love is at the core of God becoming a human. Why did God come down as Jesus? Because he loves sinners. He doesn't love sin. He loves sinners. He loves people who sin. God didn't come in the person of Jesus for his own sake. Folks, he came for our sake. He came for our salvation that we might be connected to him. The third paragraph in the Nicene Creed says, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. God became man, incarnate, and that screams I love you. I love you so much that I just didn't want to be a distant God. I wanted to be right there with you. In fact, I want to be in you. If it wasn't about love, what Jesus went through was nothing but brutality. But Jesus' death and life and burial and resurrection was all about love on display. You see, what does that mean for you and I in the 21st century? How in the world does that affect the price of corn in Iowa? Honestly, let's get practical. What does it mean that God loves sinners, that God loves you and me, that God wants to forgive your sins, that he wants you to be connected to him by, by having his Holy Spirit invade your life? What does that mean? Will you write this down? Here's a little formula. God's love plus God's presence equals full life for the we. God's love plus God's presence equals a full life for the we. We here, we, the body of Christ. Folks, I would love for you to leave this place and say, you know what, Pastor George is good. He is deep. 
He is theological. Man, he's, wow, that's what great truth. But honestly, I just stole it from the Bible. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Will you circle fullness of life and the word power? A fully powered life. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants, folks, everybody is looking for a full powered life. So next to the action step, will you write this down? Share it. Share it. My question to you is how are you doing in sharing your, parents, how are you doing in sharing your faith with your kids? Are you going to reach the next generation? Are you multiplying your life? Grandparents, I'm not letting you off the hook. Maybe you have kids that don't know Christ. Don't give up. Work on their grandkids. How are you doing in reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ? In about a month, I'm going to be talking about this for our church. How, how are you doing in sharing the love of Christ? You see, you and I can't even begin to think of sharing our faith until we are experiencing it. And it's not just knowing it. Like I said last week, it's being rooted in it, where we're practicing it. It is a part of our being. When I was growing up, I told you last week, I truly am a first-generation Christian. Yeah, we went to church occasionally. I went to VBS, Vacation Bible School. And I remember a song. Maybe you remember this. It's called Deep and Wide. Do you remember that song? Deep and Wide. There is this fountain deep and wide, that overflows. It's about all I can remember of it. But it makes me think of the swimming hole that my friends, Randy Schinderling, Kim Schinderling, Mike Smith, and Doug Poltz, and I went to, Sugar Creek Community Pool. And when you would come into the community pool, there would be, at the shallow end, kind of where the babies were at, that kind of a thing, toddlers, there was this fountain. And it was always on. And it was always welcoming people, not turning anybody away. And I can remember when we would get done with our chores, my buddies and I, we'd get together and we're going to Sugar Creek Community Pool. And they would accept us, dirty and everything. And we would get in the pool. And we would laugh, and we would jump up and down, and we would splash, and we would go over here where girls were at and do cannonballs, and they would get all wet. And we did bad things in the pool. We went pee-pee in the pool, too. But guess what? That pool was always inviting, and always accepting us, no matter who we were or what we did. That is a picture of God's love for you. It is big. 
It is deep. And it is wide. And until you experience it, not just theologically, not just transactionally, but transformationally, you will not be able to give it away to the next generation. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for our faith, for those who have gone before us, who have wrestled with deep, big, deep, and wide issues, and that have been found faithful to pass it on to the next generation. Truly today, God, we are a generation that stands on the shoulders of others who have gone before us. And may we be those who humbly receive what you want us to have from them. And may we be courageous, God, to pass it on to the next generation. That there might be billions and billions and billions of people around your throne one day worshiping you, honoring you for who you are and for what you've done. I don't know where you're at in your faith. Maybe it's just been something that's been in your head, a, a doctrinal truth. But today something is resonating in your heart where you want to personalize it. Can I encourage you to drop Christ from your head to your heart by just saying this, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe, though I don't understand it all, that you died on the cross for my sins and that was enough. And so right now, I'm committing myself to you. God, I invite you to come into my life that I might be able to know you, that I might be transformed by you, that I might be able to discern, God, those things that you have for me. In your name. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, I'd like you to tell me on your communication card. Just give me your name, maybe an email address. Check the appropriate box in the back and I'll mail you some literature. It'll help you understand what you just did. Lord, you're good, you're awesome, you're great. We thank you for our time that we can be together, that we belong. In Christ's name we pray, amen.